Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, a string of mortgage brokers have been hit with ransomware over the past several months. What are the targeting patterns? Who are the victims? We'll discuss. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to a special episode of Breaking Badness recorded on January 24th, 2024. I'm your co-host, Callie Fensel, and with me is Austin Northcutt, solutions engineer and amateur cyber researcher with (laughs) Domain Tools. And uh, we have a special guest, chief research officer from RedSense, Yelisey Bohoslavsky. Welcome, everybody, to Breaking Badness. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes. Uh, neither of you have been on the podcast before, so I and I hope after we have this discussion, you'll join me again sometime. But um, I guess first things first. So, Austin, you are a colleague of mine at Domain Tools, and this is your first recording on the podcast, as I've mentioned. So what, what do you do with Domain Tools, just for our listeners to get acquainted with you? Sure. I'm a solutions engineer. I work closely with our clients in making sure they are getting the most out of their products that they purchase from Domain Tools. Um, but I also help them with identifying pivot points or furthering some of their investigations uh, and providing uh, additional insight as to what I see. Um, and I also get to do some cybersecurity research on the side and helping um, identify points of interest for our customers and for our organization. Cool. Thanks, Austin. And actually, uh, that research that, that you do has is the reason why the three of us have gathered today. So we appreciate everything that you do to bring, you know, interesting topics to the surface so we can we can talk about it and share with the community. Um, and Yalesi, um, uh, you are introduced to me by Austin. Can you give us a brief, brief background on, on who you are and, and your path in cybersecurity? Uh, yes, thank you, Kelly. Um, hi, uh, I'm Yalesi Bogoslavsky. Um, I am partner and uh, chief research officer at RedSense, previously head of research and co-founder of Advanced Intelligence LLC. My main role uh, since uh, Advanced Intelligence has been tracking the top tier ransomware groups, primarily from the Russian-speaking communities. Uh, we refer to them as ransomware APTs, and currently they are essentially the absolute top adversaries that we're facing in cyber domain. So my role is making sure that um, the damage that they are capable of delivering is mitigated or uh, prevented. Very cool. Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, So again, I was, uh, the three of us have been brought together by Austin. How do you, and how do you two know each other before I, before we get into the meat of the matter here, everybody needs to know how everybody knows everybody else. Um, so I met Yelesi, uh in my previous role with a different organization uh, when he was with Advanced Intel. Um, we used to meet fairly frequently to discuss um, threat actor activity, uh, look into campaigns that had the potential to impact uh, vertical industry verticals of interest to us. Um, and we would 
kind of share and go through different indicators or infrastructure that we were identifying. Um, but have since then kind of kept up our professional relationship and communicating through our own channels. Yeah, exactly. And um, since our industry focus at that point with Austin was uh, finance and insurance, which uh, does not always line up with, you know, investigations concerning ransomware, because ransomware is pretty hectic in the industry targeting. Uh, working with Austin was actually my opportunity to keep focusing on uh, things specifically that we'll discuss today, but in general in investigations related to fraud, because I, I actually came to cybersecurity as uh, a fraud investigator. Initially, my first job was uh, Carl Associates, which is more of a finance uh, investigating company, fraud investigating company. So it was actually some really good years uh, being able to go outside of this ransomware ransomware box. I was logged by my own investigating while uh, uh, working with Austin. Awesome. Thank you, both of you. So, but the, the reason that we're here today is to talk about um, a threat actor or maybe several threat actors um, and, and their targeting pattern um, against mortgage brokers that uh, some attacks that we've seen in the past few months. So um, Austin, you're, you're the one that initially, you know, raised, uh, raised the flag on, on what's going on here or, or what you're seeing. So, so what's, what was spiking your curiosity in the, in, in this pattern of events? Sure. So, um, since October, we've seen a steady, uh, targeting of, uh, mortgage brokers, very large U.S. mortgage brokers announcing, uh, that they've experienced cyber breaches, cyber incidents of some sort. Um, most recently on January 9th, uh, we saw that Loan Depot um, had publicly stated they were victims of a ransomware attack um, by a threat actor who has not yet been named. Uh, and that stuck out to me because I'd really noticed or uh, recalled a pattern um, in December of 2023, we saw first American Financial. Um, they did not say the specific word ransomware attack, but had reported a cyber breach. Um, once again, without a threat actor taking any credit for it. Um, so I started kind of track going backwards and noticed in uh, November, Fidelity National Financial also acknowledged some sort of cyber incident. Um, in that case, Black Cat or Alfie ransomware group um, did take credit for that breach. And then uh, a few weeks earlier in late October, Mr. Cooper, another major uh, mortgage broker, also said that they had fallen victim to a cyber incident or cyber breach, but there was not a named threat actor associated with that one as well. So seeing a very steady kind of month by month pattern of some of these major mortgage brokers being targeted. Gotcha. Okay. And then, and then what do we think the, the reasons that mortgage brokers would be targeting? Also, is there anything indicative of the timing? Uh, if, if it's the, been the past few months that we've been noticing this, you know, is there anything special about, you know, the past few months or quarter 
And and I of course either of you can answer this. I think I, I would start with the larger timing, and then Austin could comment on um, on the on the most more recent attacks as um, as he just reviewed them in in more granular details. So I think when we're when we're talking about the you know the specific attacks against a specific industry, uh, one thing is to keep in mind the general trends in the uh, threat ecosystem, and with the ecosystem that we are dealing with. Um, the trends have been shaped for the last five years. Basically, what happened five years ago, 2019, was a spike in ransomware. But what is essential here is before that, uh, the ecosystem was centered around fraud. And fraud was tremendously more sophisticated and tremendously more developed than the contemporary ransomware. I keep saying, I'll kind of die on the scale, I guess. Ransomware is extremely primitive, and it's all about just being lucky, being at the same, uh, the uh, right time at the right place. But ransomware was able to capture the dominance in the cybercrime domain, especially in the elite community of cybercrime domain, which are typically Russian-speaking. And they were able to kind of squeeze out the fraud specialists, carder specialists, insurance fraud specialists to the margins. But then at the same time, around 2021, 2022, and definitely 2023, they themselves started to experience a lot of challenges. 2021 was the year when some of their models didn't work. 2022 was a shocking year because the, the, the war started um, in, in Ukraine. And finally, 2023 was a year of government tank takedowns against ransomware groups. So this dominant predator of the threat ecosystem is currently having a lot of issues. And the way they're dealing with it, they're looking at the models that used to be working before they took dominance. And the, the first model that comes to place is the fraud model. And these are the individuals, the elite individuals, elite hackers that they moved to the periphery. So now, while using their dominance as someone who is central to the ecosystem, they're kind of calling them back. They're, they're integrating those actors, those top-tier fraudsters into their patterns, into their operational and strategic frameworks in order to kind of deal with the crisis that they were forced dealing uh just due to all the circumstances of how ransomware develops over the last five years. Very well said, obviously. Um, yeah, so they've tried to adapt and overcome. Um, and I think what you're seeing is they've understood which industries are uh, good or viable targets. Although these actors are highly opportunistic still, um, they are able to confidently identify what is a good target? And I think particular reasons surrounding why they would be targeting the uh, mortgage broker industry, it's kind of viewed as a cash flush industry. Um, the victims may be more likely to pay um, due to the sensitivity of the data that they are uh, handling. So exfiltrated or stolen data is of high value, whether or not the threat actor even deploys a crypto locker. Um, and that it's a highly regulated um, industry that the government is very concerned about. Um, so these victim or these uh, entities don't want to be penalized by their corporate or their uh, governments. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I think uh, you, you you mentioned a real important point that the ransomware attacks in their absolute majority are opportunistic. And because of that, on the one hand, the, the insurance industry, in this case, mortgage broker industry is more safe simply because 
you never know when the dice falls and uh you know that that specific industry would be targeted but at the same time when they do succeed in uh performing an attack that would definitely be a priority for them exactly uh because the implications of data exfiltration um that is related specifically to you know the exposure related to um pretty much any financial information, but in this case, uh, loan information. And then I guess too, with timing, um, I, I see how it's, it's incredibly opportunistic for, to hit the mortgage brokers, um, with ransomware, but also in terms of timing, do you think there's anything to, you know, the, the housing market that, that we're facing right now where, you know, the cost of homes has increased exponentially since about, I would say about 2021. Uh, do you think that has uh, any impact on on why we're seeing this string of ransomware hits at, at this point in time? Or, or is that completely off base? I don't know that I would say it has a direct correlation. I know, obviously, the housing market, housing industry is very competitive. Um, it's very important that things are done in a timely manner. Um, so maybe they're able to use uh, social engineering letters or themes that really convey that sense of urgency to uh, convince a an employee or an individual to maybe enter their credential somewhere they wouldn't because they're trying to um, take advantage of you know the sense of urgency or they're creating a strong false sense of urgency um, so that you know someone within this industry doesn't lose out on a potential deal that they're working towards. Yeah, and especially now when those, so initially those groups on the ransomware side, uh, they were not too capable of proper social engineering, first of all, because again, ransomware is very primitive. Secondly, because the absolute majority of capable groups were, and still are actually, based in the former Soviet Union space. So they are not really good in engaging with the Western space, which social engineers uh, engineering presumes. But 2023 was a game changer because those groups actually began um, getting... It's not even an affiliate relationship. It's more of like alliance relationship. Uh, Black Cat that uh, Austin just mentioned, uh, they had this infamous alliance with uh, Scattered Spider, which probably was the reason why they, they were taken down at the end. Uh, but um, this is a new tooling that they never had. And um, voice phishing, uh, just general phishing, when it's done properly by, by people who understand social engineering, by people who understand the... Uh, for instance, what Austin just said, that um, mortgage brokerage is a very vulnerable industry for social engineering because everything should be done fast and clear and time is in the essence. And uh, since the very beginning of social engineering, um, the idea that if you pressure the victim to make a decision right now in the next like five minutes, they are likely to do so. Uh, with with the integration of those English-speaking groups consistent of English-speaking actors who actually understand that, who know how to deploy that, uh, I think this really increased the level of threat and really increased the success rates for, for the ransomware collectives. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks. Thanks to you both. Um, so, you know, we've talked about... Uh, you know why this this is taking place, but and but who exactly are the known targets thus far with within the space? Uh, I think Austin, you had you had a list of uh, 
of people or not people rather of uh, organizations that have been that have been hit so far do we are you able to share that with our audience yeah so we have um four major mortgage brokers mr cooper um fidelity national financial um first american financial and Loan Depot, who have all acknowledged some sort of uh, breach or cyber attack. Uh, in addition, we have um, Meridian Link, who is a web-based loan organization system uh, that's used by a number of uh, credit union customers, um, including some of those victims. Uh, we're able to see some information linked to those. Um, Meridian Link, you may recall, uh, was actually um, reported to the SEC for not reporting their cyber, uh, that they were breached. Alfie submitted a complaint against them um, in what was kind of a very bold um, or brazen move to say, hey, we compromised this company and they're not acknowledging any sort of breach. Um, and kind of called them out publicly and to their uh, regulators. Oh, yeah, I remember. I think we actually talked about that on the podcast a few episodes ago. It wasn't it wasn't quite that long ago, but I remember that specific situation where I'm like, that's a little interesting or and I guess brazen is probably the best way to describe it. But um, yeah, very interesting. Um, so for. I guess for the targets that we do know, can we make the assumption that there might be, you know, additional targets that that haven't surfaced yet or, you know, are also in that situation where they maybe haven't reported uh, that they've been attacked with ransomware and they should have? That's that's an excellent question. Uh, We at RedSense, we do have a pretty good internal visibility in majority of top tier groups. Primarily ex-Conti, like groups like Xeon, Blackbuster, Blacksuit, uh, used to be Royal. And looking at their internal victimology, not what they publish in the blog. And um, also getting some excellent information from our um, incident response partners, uh, also related to victimology. Uh, for those groups, uh, there we, we haven't seen any mortgage brokers or insurance carriers within their victimology. And it leads me to believe that it's more of uh, the victimology here consists more of either victims who were hit with blackout, which is probably utilizing the, you know, well, was utilizing when they were still alive. Uh, This uh, English-speaking route through uh, Scatter Spider or were hit by the groups that uh, I would define as cyber vandals rather than uh, ransomware groups. A great example is Logbit. So Logbit would get extremely cheap, extremely useless data that could be found on pretty much any like corporate site and they would put it on their blog. So your name is there. You kind of like look bad, but there's no real data exposure done. So this cyber vandalism, um, which is kind of the opposite to what Black, uh, Black Cat does, because Black Cat used to be very sophisticated in their data exfiltration, is those two sides of the spectrum, either like extremely low tier or extremely high tier. And the, the other thing I think we could derive from the known victimology, which are all those uh, companies that Austin just referenced, is that uh, mortgage brokers, to their credit, they are able and willing to go public and say we were breached. 
which mean one very important thing. It means they didn't pay to the victims. Oh, sorry, not to the victims, to, to, to the actors, most likely. And I think this is really kind of like the future of fighting ransomware on the victim side, which is like, yeah, we'll take damages, we'll be public, but we'll not pay you. And honestly, with ransomware, as most of crime, uh, if you cut their financial supplies, you kind of wear them down until they die. Exactly. Yeah, we. I think we've uh, we've mentioned this before on the podcast too about uh, you know what what it means to pay versus not pay. Um, I guess maybe this is a good question for for the two of you as kind of like an offshoot. But but what are your personal stances on paying versus not paying? Pay. I mean, I think it has to be. You know, is the company set up to endure this sort of attack? Um, you know. What is the value of the data that was stolen? We've seen uh, a number of cases where companies have paid explicitly just to have their data deleted, um, not even worried about, hey, can we have the decryption key to get our systems back? We'll recover on our own. Um, there are a number of companies who are only concerned with the data that was stolen from them. Um, I know that... Uh, Yulesi has some great information or uh, stories of that happening. Um, but I would say that obviously paying encourages the threat actors to continue to um, keep going after this sort of activity. Um, but I know that, you know, some of the companies that get hit, those uh, mid-tier, mid-sized companies, uh, don't have the systems or have a way to recover. They feel kind of lost sometimes when they're fully encrypted and they don't know what else to do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's really case by case based. Um, there are some common rules. I, uh, I would advise, uh, first of all, uh, people when, uh, we, we do a, deal a lot with ransomware negotiations and it's, it's very clear that a huge component of, um, that gives adversaries advantage is that people feel shock and terrified and scared when the situation happens. Uh, most often the IT department would be the one put to be, um, you know, dealing with the situation, which naturally makes sense. But obviously, uh, if it's encryption, yes, the IT person can make an assessment. But when it's data exfiltration, like you, you need a lawyer, you need a PR person, you cannot put that all on, on, on IT folks. And because of that, uh, people are just caught off guard and they're scared. So the, the one common advice, which I think is absolutely universal, is uh, the FBI has anti-ransomware task force. At any state in the United States, you, if God forbid you're being hit. Uh, you will have your local branch of the FBI that could be contacted. They're extremely official. They're extremely knowledgeable. I was working uh, with FBI for the last six years of my life. Uh, their agents are perfectly equipped for with dealing both with negotiations and with risk associated with negotiations. So that's that's the first rule. Uh, the second rule, and that's more in general for data exfiltration keys, because I can totally see why someone would pay for decryption just to save their business or to save their employees or to save the, uh, you know, the, the, the jobs that they're provided. Data exfil in general, it sounds scary and it sounds psychologically traumatizing to have your information on the blog. But in general, there are very few 
serious consequences if your data is being dumped. 99% of cases when I'm being asked for an advice, uh, the damages you encounter while uh, having your data exposed are incomparable to the financial damages that uh, you're encountering while paying those people. And keep in mind, we, we live in a pretty creepy world. Uh, the groups, uh, they're, they're ethnically and nationally diverse. Uh, a lot of those actors are based in Ukraine and Belarus, but a huge number of them are based in Russia. And they are utilizing these funds to lead a genocidal war uh, in Ukraine. So there is there is a moral component, like just upfront moral component. And then more close to home, there is a second moral component that uh, the more they're being paid, the longer they are operating. And on the opposite, the less they're being paid, the more motivated they are to quit. And ransomware at this point, again, like keep in mind, this the thing has been there for five years. It's a pretty long cycle for or uh, cybercrime groups. And those groups consist of the same people that were there back in 2018, 2017, 2016. They are already experiencing a lot of fatigue. So if they're not being paid, the chances of them going out of business are really, really high. And um, I'm, I'm basing that on empirical experience. Uh, my main investigation through those five years was Rayuk and Conti. Uh, Conti is extremely resilient. Conti is an absolute epiphany of excellence in ransomware world. But Conti failed at some point very dramatically when um, companies who were managing negotiations, specifically uh, Kudos to Cobware, basically start to tell their clients that, hey, this is clearly an crime entity that is dealing with the adversarial government, specifically the Russian government. So if you're paying, you're getting yourself into all the sanctions discourse. And suddenly Conti, we, we had internal visibility. We were looking at like, you know, how they were reacting on that from inside. Uh, Conti started to see that they're not being paid and they, they dissolved. And while this dissolution actually worked to some extent to their favor, they were never able to be as capable as they were when it was a single group. And essentially the way, the way it was defeated was, uh, people talk a lot about Contilix. Contilix didn't change anything at all. What did change it fundamentally was that the people just stop paying them. So it's an extremely powerful tool to stop ransomware. And at the same time, I think in general, the risks of data exposure are tremendously, tremendously uh, over overrated. Okay, I got you. Thank, thank you both for sharing those insights. I appreciate that. Um, I'll bring us back to talking about this specific scenario on, on mortgage brokers. Um, are the tech Tactics, techniques, and procedures um, that they've carried out, are, are, is there anything noteworthy that we would want to share with our listeners? So I think my understanding, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of targeting um, and variations of account compromise, um, maybe some MFA reset activity that's going on, things that all do kind of lead back to scattered spider related um, initial compromises or social engineering. And I think um, one of the biggest things to understand for the companies who are saying, how do I protect myself about uh, or from this sort of activity or this social engineering is really your employee training and making sure your employees understand um, you know, what is a realistic way that my company will communicate with me or ask me to do something? What is the platform they're going to use? Um, what does it look like? What are the messages? 
And then also training, um, I think one of the biggest weaknesses, um, we see them exploit uh, are, it's the help desk. And in its name, it's help desk. They want to help employees. And, um, you know, when they get a call saying, oh, you know, I'm having issues logging into my account and we hear about the account reset, uh, the individual who's on the phone and is looking to help the employee um, and really it's should they shift their mindset from help desk to security desk and that they're looking to make sure that they're maintaining um, their company's security posture and, you know, understanding that they might, you know, at one point inadvertently block someone who shouldn't. Um, but is that better for the overall uh, well-being of the organization? Um, so I think it comes down to understanding how can you better train uh, your employees to uh, protect their credentials and how to protect the organization from potential compromises or weaknesses. I have a short anecdote to illustrate what, what Austin just said. I remember there, there was there was a Conti, uh, one Conti was really focused on social engineering. Technically, it was Royal already, but I'll just call them Conti for, for, for the sake of simplicity because it's like six groups by now. Um, yeah, they, they had a social engineering scheme when they were calling as a help desk person and they were talking about a security issue because as Austin just said, like obviously, you know, as, as a criminal, you need to, you need to get the security access. So people to whom they were calling, they were basically saying like, Hey, how, how about a help desk issue? And at this point, they were specifically to get additional trust and authenticity. They were redirecting to the other person who was also Conti member and who was like, Oh, yes, I just got transferred, uh, you know, from help desk. I'm a security officer here at your company. And, uh, that's, that's how they were, uh, they were basically gaining trust exactly by anticipating this, uh, you know, that the, the target probably would understand that there are some logical inconsistencies be, between different uh, different schemes, and um, uh, their uh, the, the big reason for their failure actually with that scheme was that while it was very well done, uh, they had people with less, like extremely heavy Slavic accents, and <laughs> they were calling Western insurance companies, uh, real estate companies, and. Uh, People were very confused between the accent and uh, the language and, uh, you know, the nature of the request. Uh, they, they start to circumvent it in an extremely smart way. Um, they started to look at real estate companies that were owned by uh, people of uh, Slavic and specifically uh, former Soviet Union uh, descent. So they were uh, they were using schemes uh, impersonating firms uh, that real estate firms actually targeting real estate insurance, impersonating firms that were owned by Ukrainians, Belarusians, Russians, and uh, in this sense they were trying to circumvent this um, social uh, you know social issue. But you know th th this anecdote kind of like emphasizes that while social social engineering is definitely an extremely, extremely potent tool in the hands of the actors because it comes to the territory that is not really there uh, as, you know, ransomware people are mostly good coders and definitely perfect network pen testers. Because it brings the territory that is not there, um, they, they feel very uncomfortable dealing with this. And that's why Scatter Spider was 
such a revolution within the ransomware world because Scattered Spider is not that good with code, but they're definitely good with talking to their like fellow English-speaking people. And the alliance between the two definitely worked. But at the end of the day, it worked to the point when the FBI basically said, like, you know, that's, that's enough is enough. And uh, I'm not sure what's going on with Scattered Spider, but Black Hat is dead as disco. That's, that's for sure. So... Austin, you had also mentioned um, that you were going to do some retroactive domain hunting to see if there were any domains that might have been used to support the credential harvesting or targeting of the uh, mortgage brokers involved. Were were you able to find anything interesting? So looking at uh, prior breach activity or, you know, domains that may have been stood up uh, before the uh, announced compromise dates. Uh, I didn't find anything that really stuck out as, oh, this was clearly, you know, targeted at this, um, at this company or any of these, uh, named victims, um, which I think is kind of indicative of the FBI has put out plenty of ransomware notifications regarding scattered spider, the domain naming structures that they used and, the actors are very well aware of this and they will adapt their tactics around this to make sure that, okay, everyone knows I'm going to go left. Well, maybe this time I'm going to go right. Um, so I didn't quite see that, but I saw an interesting pattern of what I would call uh, cyber ambulance chasers, where in the day of or the day after many of these breaches were announced by the companies, um, threat actors began setting up uh, domains that uh, use naming structures related to the victim company or victim company's name, and then things such as cyber incident update, um, update breach notification, um, a number of different terms, and we saw a pattern of um, an Iris investigate the server types that were being used, uh, registrar. So, kind of indicative that maybe these are some of the same fraud groups that are setting up or responding to this. And, it, you know, in my opinion, kind of uh, what Yalesi was saying with the fraud, uh, cyber fraud industry has been huge. Um, this could be other types of cyber fraud actors who are looking to capitalize on victims trying to understand what happened um, with the company that uh, maybe manages their mortgage and, they're going to these websites and, oh, to get find out information or has your data been compromised, please log in here um, and figure out ways to compromise credentials this way um, that could be used to target more of the individual victim as opposed to the enterprise victim. And Yelasi, um, you might have uh, potential information on the, or you might have lore themes that uh, you might want to discuss on the ransomware as a, as a service operators, or is that true? I'm, I'm hearing this uh, from Austin uh, prior to us setting up the recording. So is that, is that something that you can speak more to? Yes, yes. Uh, I would love to. Uh, we actually back at Advanced Intelligence, we had like a huge blog, which was like 50 pages with all the lore themes. And what was amazing about that is uh, the process that was taking place since then was what I could call the de-evolution. Because uh, if at some point when ransomware just began uh, facing crisis, 
um, they really invested into the complexity and sophistication of social engineering. And they went to like the schemes like the, the one I just described when they were trying to impersonate uh, law firms, or not law firms, they were trying to impersonate real estate agents contacting the employers of uh, the employees of um, real estate insurance firms or real estate providers with uh, basically saying that uh, their policy regarding a certain property violates the, um, you know, equality, uh, equality and diversity aspects of uh, real estate uh, loan management. And uh, it was very well done. It was very smart. And after a while, they just dropped it and they uh, returned to very simple means. Um, so the, the one I just described was the uh, fake uh, lawsuits from uh, people involved in real estate um, property management. Uh, that was uh, Royal. And their closest competitor, also Exconti, Blackbuster, Instead, what they are doing, they're writing very simple emails that are designed to intercept an existing conversation. They're having you use an AI for that, just for the multiplication purposes. So it would be something like, uh, hey, uh, you requested a document uh, two days ago. Uh, this is it. And it would be sent in, um, they compromise spam engines for that, oh, sorry, email engines for that spam, and uh, they, they compromise uh, some internal corporate correspondence for that. But it's, it's very primitive in um, comparison to those extremely sophisticated schemes that used to be brought up. And uh, I think that's honestly a positive sign. Like the, the more the more primitive they are, the better it is. And in general, my huge concern for 2023, um, so it's the new year, so we're uh, now looking at the at ransomware through the entirety of 2023. My huge concern after 2022, which was the like, flourishing uh, utilization of social engineering, for 2023, I thought that would even go further and it would all be about sophisticated schemes. And instead, the absolute majority of threat actors just drop the sophistication, which I think is a good sign specifically for, you know, industries that um, deal with more, you know, more, more narratively uh, sophisticated things like loans or finances or insurance or legal cases for sure. Um, in general, their employees just by definition are more equipped to you know, look at look at complex narrative. So when those sophisticated non-sophisticated schemes are used against them, uh, the chances of success is is lower, and uh, it makes big game targeting or industry targeting higher uh, harder for the actors. Yeah, say, I think you might recall we discussed uh, prior, and you're talking about kind of the low level themes. Um, I believe it might have been Quantum who was. Uh, doing the, they tried the MetaQuest theme uh and they were kind of targeting some lower level users or individuals um and then they followed it up with the american oath theme uh trying to target political or people following uh donald trump as a political figure um so yeah i can back up what he's saying there i've seen some of those um lure themes really decrease in sophistication and almost showing a bit of desperation. Yeah, and they, uh, exactly, Austin, Quantum is a great example, j j just for the context. So uh, it was Conti 2, 
Then uh, it turned into Quantum. They were Zeon at some point, but now Zeon is a separate group. Then they became Royal, and now they're a black suit. So it's kind of the same people, which I think is extremely characteristic uh, for ransomware. It's the same people, but under different names. And you're you're absolutely right. Quantum, especially at 2022, beginning of 2023, they were just like killing it with all the different approaches. They they utilized Black's SEO. They utilized fake websites targeting political audience with the American Oath. Uh, I forgot about that. That that, that was an amazing case. Um, they were targeting like Trump's audience to lure them into like making payments and then downloading malware. Uh, they were attacking healthcare industry by introducing... Um, I think they were introducing like a search solution that would cover, it's kind of like, you know, a search tool to go through different healthcare providers to find the best bid on insurance. Speaking of insurance, uh, they were actually the first, unfortunately, the last one who integrated AI for that. They were extensively experimenting this uh, chat GPT and then they just dropped it, uh, which again is, is a great case of de-evolution. De uh, but going, going back to, going back to the mortgage brokers, quantum was to, to my knowledge, was the only one who actually looked at that industry. They were looking specifically at real estate mortgage providers rather than the large, uh, larger, uh, sorry, larger mortgage industry. But they were the only one who were actually looking at that specifically and targeting that industry specifically. Fortunately, to no luck. But at, at that point, when they were doing that, we were pretty deep inside and we were heavily disrupting uh, their schemes. So it, it was kind of like a bit of a prevention action on our side. Um, the, the FBI and DHS definitely helped at that point where it's substantially. I'm really interested um, that, that you both mentioned the de-evolution of, uh, of the threat actors. Like that's something that, you know, I, you know, personally haven't heard a lot about. Um, and, and I guess uh, you'll see like being, being newer to, uh, to this podcast and to, you know, talking with me and, in more depth, I'm uh, on the marketing side of things, so so it's not uncommon that that something has reached me later than other people. But I I'm fascinated by uh, the desophistication element of it because we've been talking more about how you know with large language models and AI, like things are going to get way more sophisticated very fast, and it's going to make things harder. But like, what's your prediction as as we're getting into you know the second month of 2024? Like, do you think that's going to pick up in uh, in popularity and, and we will see more sophistication? Or do you think, uh, you know, it's going to remain more status quo and we're going to continue to see what what you're what you're describing as we saw in 2023? Uh, Kelly, I, I've been doing that ransomware prevention thing for six years. And for all those six years, I'm still shocked by the sophistication. Really? <laughs> each year, each year I'm like, well, all the next year will be it. We're, we're there. Like, you know, 2019, I was like, okay, now, now they just started it. In 2020, it will go to full capacity. <laughs> like in 2021, oh, now they're getting it. Like 2023, now the AI would be a game changer and social. And each time I'm, I'm just shocked by the sophistication. It's, uh, I guess it's a good thing. Uh, I, it's, it's frustrating. It's extremely frustrating from the standpoint that there are very few things that really need to be done to prevent ransomware because it's extremely primitive in its nature. I think what is extremely illustrative is that 
until I would say late 2019, the top tier Russian forums all banned ransomware actors. And that was like way before ransomware actors became toxic and started to like have critical infrastructure here in the United States. It was like way before that. And the reason they were banning them was because they thought that those people are bringing like this primitive intellectual shortcut like approach to hacking and hacking is art. So and fraud is art. And we will not allow those people to kind of, you know, uh, prim- primitivize our, our community on those forms. That, that's what their, uh, what their rationale. And I, I, I think nothing really changed since then. It's definitely like Conti made a revolution for sure. Uh, they, they, they brought a lot of sophistication and they became like absolute leaders uh, with the Ryuk scheme back in 2018, 2019, but nothing changed since then that they, they, they just got stuck. And again, like there were a few things that could be done to uh, utilize this lack of sophistication and this de-evolution to our benefits. It's good audit, good protocol, and to be completely honest, good coverage. Because one of the main things that has been uh, frustrating, like me and but many other ransomware researchers, uh, my my mentor, uh, unfortunately deceased, uh, Vitaly Kremis, who was the main founder of Adventel, um, he was very vocal about that, and I, I tremendously respect him for this. Uh, the cybersecurity industry is paying huge, huge attention to glorifying and overrating ransomware because uh, ransomware is very public. A lot of people are just making their names by making ransomware interviews, by looking at form. It got to a point, which is kind of horrible if you think about it. It got to a point when the ransomware actors are making fun of that. Uh, when the ransomware actor, the, the, at some point, uh, Royal, I believe, they deleted the data of the school because they uh, they didn't want to get under sanctions. So they deleted data of a U.S. school that they dumped on their blog. And they called out in the announcement deleted data, they called out uh, Twitter researchers for uh, making names by republishing the ransomware data. And they called them uh, Twitter vultures, something like that. So I, I think it's like very strongly an ethical issue. And uh, the, the revolution that took place in cybercrime was ransomware when ransomware stopped exploiting code and they began exploiting social fabric by double extortion, by threatening people to publish their data. So instead of playing with, you know, technicalities, they started to play with fear. And at this point, ransomware became purely social and uh, when the social aspect, the social fabric, the ethical uh, fabric is not equipped enough, which unfortunately is the case for cybersecurity industry these days, uh, then they just get the advantage because on the technical side, they don't have the advantage. And one, one of the, I believe that was the chief content negotiator. They once said, uh, we will never be able to win the technology war because our budgets are millions and the technology budget, technology companies' budgets are trillions, but we could definitely war, we'll win the war on, you know, for, for human hearts. And unfortunately, they're still, they're still succeeding in that. And I think that's the reason why the desophistication is taking place because when you can take a simple route on the social side, you don't really need to evolve that much on the technical side. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, I guess we'll we'll see how this year unfolds. But wow, that that is so fascinating to hear that every year you're thinking this is the year, and it's and then it's not. That's but wow, I can't get over that. I love it. <laughs> um, uh, but I love that they're proving us wrong. 
exactly. Yeah, in a good way. They're proving us wrong in a good way. I uh, just a short prediction. I, I I think this actually may be the last year for for ransomware because the government is feeling pretty comfortable taking them down. They figured out that if you take that down the blog. Speaking of the social aspect of ransomware, you most likely kill the group. I have not seen any successful rebrands after like the blogs were killed. And uh, it's an election year, and we know from the cases of TrickBot and uh, I believe partly Imitat, but definitely TrickBot, uh, U.S. government becomes way more agitated <laughs> when it comes to election years. So I, I think this year it's possible there would be enough damage done to those groups for them just to fade away. The, the thing, the, th- uh, the thing emerged in, in a moment. It was, I remember this very clearly. It was like summer and fall of 2019 when suddenly it was all about ransomware. It could go as easily as, as it emerged. And I hope it's, it's a very optimistic prediction, but I hope this is exactly what could happen this year. Wow, that's really interesting. And I, I, that'll be something that we want to revisit next year to see if that came to fruition for sure. Wow, I, that's that's quite a prediction. But uh, what, what do you think, Austin? You know, I teeter because I think that there are so many organizations that are still vulnerable uh, that we might still continue to see it. Um, and, you know, every time we kind of see that slowdown, we also still see the reemergence. Um, but I think, uh, you'll actually right in that, you know, the, some of the big actors were seeing the sophistication drop. Um, but then we have some others that have kind of stood as APTs, um, you know, thinking of somewhere like Clop Ransomware and TA505. Yeah, this is, I mean, I'm very intrigued by this prediction. I'm going to definitely keep an eye on it for sure. But I guess like in terms of, you know, uh, you know, what you just mentioned, Austin, with organizations, you know, still, you know, being at risk, like what could mortgage brokers do, you know, the ones that, you know, those that haven't been attacked yet, how can they protect themselves uh, from being the next target? Um, yeah, I think I kind of hit on this uh, where, you know, it's their internal training, making sure that they understand, um, you know, their, their employees understand what legitimate infrastructure looks like or legitimate domains look like for their company, um, how they would be contacted by, you know, a member of their security staff, um, what is the appropriate number that they might receive, um, you know, making sure help desk understands how to properly triage a call. And as Jalesi said, they kind of um, oh, I was transferred over here by so-and-so pretending as if, uh, you know, this is the second step in the call um, and not, you know, to kind of give themselves that sense of legitimacy. So uh, I think, you know, making sure help desk understands that they're also a first line of defense. Absolutely. That makes sense. Um, well, thank you both for for coming on and talking about, you know, this you know specific scenario of what we're seeing in terms of ransomware and mortgage brokers. Um, before we break, uh, Yelisi, would you like to discuss any current insights into uh, any ransomware groups that you're tracking? Um, you know, Black Basta, Black Cat, anything like that? Yeah, uh, just a quick recap. Uh, so, uh, Post Conti, there's like more of my personal uh, focus. Uh, they are all still capable. But they are keeping this industrial, you know, quantity versus quality type of approach. 
Um, again, I think for them, the main shift for 2023 and probably onwards is that they, they just dropped this, this social, social engineering narrative, um, at all, which is especially damaging to them because, uh, this year and next year, um, the ransomware groups need social engineering more than ever for a very simple reason. All those groups existed on an extremely high dependence on botnets that they used for scaling their operations and most importantly, automatically infecting um, devices and computers and machines. And 2022 and 2023 was just like an absolute like tremendous decline of botnets. The very last survivor one out of big ones was QBot and FBI uh, took it down and... Um, uh, there was there was a certain skepticism for sure, both in cybersecurity world and uh, ransomware world, if you know of how how long they would be able to be without Qbot before rebuilding it. Well, they, they still haven't properly rebuilt it. So the, the reason I'm uh, putting that as an example is because when you are losing means that you have been using for like the last four years, which is a huge timeline for for these groups. Um, like QBot or TrickBot or Emotet or Zload or like you name it. When you're losing those means that are very known to you, you need to either adapt or go down. And social engineering was adaptation. So the fact that those groups, post quantity groups, did not really adapt it, it's a really good sign, especially uh, since we're talking of very specific industry. Uh, mortgage industry is something that typically would be targeted by fraudsters and has, just by the nature of the industry, more vulnerability to fraud. Um, and fraud is all about very sophisticated smart social engineering. So the fact that they're not able to do that is, is, a, is a great sign. Um, Black Hat was uh, an opposite example. They did implement social engineering in a perfect way, very smart way, but that let them down. Uh, I'm not sure, like, I, I don't know, you know, what was written in the orders for the takedown, but I know for sure that the ransomware and cybercrime uh, world, the, the main narrative about Black Hat takedown was that they crossed the line because of dealing with Scattered Spider, which is honestly great, which means that anyone who is like Black Cat would like to deal with American uh, threat actors or English-speaking threat actors will think twice now because they don't want FBI on their servers. And then finally, and I guess that it's probably the main threat, and Austin already um, touched on this, uh, there are groups that will either never uh, go down like Klopp. Uh, Klopp would be a T505. Uh, they always be there. I think my children, uh, if they choose cybersecurity, will still be dealing with Klopp. And then there are, uh, actors that are so, I don't know. It's kind of like petty crime. You cannot get rid of petty crime. Uh, Blobbit is probably a good example. Uh, they would just be there because once in a while they will be able to, find a small vulnerability, steal 50 gigabytes of data, and then make a huge deal on that uh, on, on their blog. And unfortunately, because um, insurance industry, mortgage industry, loan industry, finance industry are extremely susceptible for any bad publicity, uh, these cyber vandals actually could be a major threat. But other than that, for, for ransomware domain, again, it's, it's, it's going down. Um, I'm not sure it would be replaced properly by 
you know, the people that were there before ransomware for Russian speaking groups, it's uh, carders and fraudsters and uh, insurance fraudsters for this case. But we'll see. In general, in general, the, the, the landscape is not looking great at all for the criminals. Wow. Yeah, that's a, a net positive. And normally on our um, shows, uh, we, we end with what we call gold guidance and grievances, where we talk about something good, something, some advice and a grievance that we have uh, within the industry. But yeah, like the, the sophistication going down, uh, that's definitely a, a, a gold, I would say for sure. Is there um, anything else either of you would want to leave our listeners with, you know, either any guidance that you might have uh, in like in general, not necessarily having to pertain to um, this, the, the scenario we were discussing or, or anything else good within the industry that you'd like to, uh, you know, give a shout out uh, to before before we conclude? Well, I could I could do a quick comment. Um, I think one of the key reasons that led to this very bad shape of ransomware by 2024 was the collective work of, well, first of all, shout out to the government. Uh, They did an amazing job for hitting the critical nodes, but even larger shout out to the uh, forensics incident response uh, and yeah, ransomware response communities, uh, specifically DFIR groups, DFIR researchers, we realized that we know the enemy. We realized that the enemy is way more primitive than we thought. And uh, th- this community is quite often in alliance with insurance brokers, really shifted the landscape by uh, making sure that just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of SMEs, small and medium enterprises, just put the proper protection. And quite often the proper protection is more than enough. I, I really like the recommendation that made by Austin about employee training. If you cover this first line of defense, this would be like a huge advantage already. Uh, and then the DFIR folks uh, in all of their uh, shapes and forms, uh, including those who are uh, within the uh, insurance brokerage companies, they made an amazing uh, job in just implementing compliance due diligence and audits, which really got the uh, the ransomware groups into major uh, starvation and austerity. Thank you. And Austin, you have anything that you want to share before before we adjourn? Yeah, I think uh, as even Yelasi said earlier, um, the value of contacting, uh, if you're in the United States, the FBI or um, international listeners, you know, your um, nation's law enforcement agency for support. Um, I've met with some of the teams that handle ransomware for the FBI and um, they take it very seriously. They support companies of um, all sizes and abilities and they really do the different field offices that specialize in understanding some of the bigger variants that are impacting um, U.S.-based companies. They work to help you um, in understanding how to respond to that and protecting your company or, um, you know, making sure that you make the right decisions and for your company. Yeah, yeah. I, I really want to add to that. Uh, thank you, Austin, for like reiterating that. Uh, I, I feel the key here is that for absolute majority of people who are dealing with ransomware or uh, on the victim side, 
this is usually the first time they even hear what ransomware is. And when you're contacting the FBI branch, you would be dealing with people that have been working, like uh, dissecting and preventing and mitigating those cases for years, years and years. And the branches are really specialized. So if... um if let's say you're hit by logbit, you will get into like after after like a certain iteration, you will get to the uh branch that would be dealing with logbit and they will tell you exactly what logbit is and exactly what you should do. It's the, the level of specialization and expertise there is 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 insane. And um it's it's also proven by all the successes of FBI, in particular in 2023, just really dismantling those groups. So yeah, uh, joining Austin here, if heaven forbid you are dealing with a ransomware case, like the, the first thing to do, just just call the the, the local FBI office. They they will take it from there, and they know how to speak, you know, about the incident in the language that people understand. It won't necessarily be someone who is speaking light years ahead of you and using a ton of technical terms they know how to work with you know the individual business owner yes yes that, that was actually the the model that we had both at Adventel and in RedSense when we were seeing an active incident uh, we were just delegating that to the uh, FBI and DHS and uh, this way we're kind of covering our consciousness uh, won't get an innocent out of that but for for the victim obviously because like quote Quite a few cases were when we were talking directly to the victim. And at this point, Vitaly and I were realizing that we're just not too equipped in, in explaining what we know to um, to the people that have first de- dealt with ransomware. And this is exactly what, where the, the law enforcement, particularly the FBI, acts as, as a breach. Well, that, that was great, both of you. Thank you so much for sharing your insights there. Um, I, I really appreciate your time today. I know our listeners are probably really excited about this too. So thank you so much for being here, Austin, Yelisey. Um, I'm sure we're, we're going to be talking to you again, I hope for sure in the future. Um, great conversation. I know I, I got a lot out of it. I'm sure our, our listeners did as well. But thank you so much uh, to our listeners. Thank you for listening to Breaking Badness. We will catch you again for an all new episode next week. Stay frosty out there, everybody. Thank you, Callie. Thank you, Callie. Thank you. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.